Welcome to the Turning Point Podcast. I am your host, Marita Espada. If you are already a fan of the podcast, thank you for your support and welcome back. If you're new to the podcast, I speak with top creators and entrepreneurs as we discuss business, creativity, mental health, and how those may interconnect with each other. This is a fascinating episode filled with wisdom and life experiences. It's the perfect combination for those creators and entrepreneurs who may be listening today. I had the opportunity to speak with Noah Rochetta. Noah is the executive director of the Foundation for Mindful Living and the host of the Secular Buddhism podcast. He teaches mindfulness and Buddhist philosophy online and in workshops all around the world. He continually strives to work with others to make the world a better place as he studies, embodies, and teaches the fundamentals of Buddhist philosophy, integrating Buddhist teachings, modern science, humanism, and a little bit of humor. If you are enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could follow, subscribe, share the podcast with a friend, a neighbor, or a stranger, and maybe even leave a rating and a review. Now, let's kick off the show. Hi, Noah. How are you today? Doing well, thanks. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I read uh, one of your books. I listened to your podcast. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely a fan of, of what you're putting out there for people and, and everything around mindfulness. And I wanted to talk a little bit about more about you started in this journey yourself and, and what got you to be, I guess, excited about mindfulness and secular Buddhism that you decided to create workshops and the podcast and just educate people a little bit more on the subject. Uh, yeah. So I, I started with an interest in meditation. Um, I, you know, I had heard so much about it and the the benefits of it, but I kind of wanted to know why, where does it come from? Why, why does it work? Uh, how does it work? And the more I researched it, the more, um, the more I, I encountered just other uh, concepts and teachings from that worldview from Buddhism specifically. And uh, it kind of led me down the rabbit hole. And the more I studied it, the more fascinated I was it by that. Uh, that way of thinking. So that's, that's kind of where it all started. Uh, just a, a general interest in meditation. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. I, I discovered meditation, maybe I wouldn't say, I always say four to five years ago, um, but it probably wasn't about two years ago that I really started to create a habit. I usually say to people like meditation, at least for me, meditation doesn't really like find you, you find meditation. Like sometimes you might start meditating three years ago, but it didn't really sink in. And then it's not until later that you actually start to realize the effects that it can have on you. And then it actually becomes a habit because you start to really understand um, the changes that, that your mind goes through, the changes that you go as a person, how your relationships may evolve, how you become more self-aware. So that's usually yeah. what I tend to say to people. Um, what do you tend to say to people if, if they're just like in this beginner stage or they're just discovering meditation and they want someone that has been doing this maybe for a little bit while and, and they're just interested in your input? Um, yeah, I, I think so. The, the most uh, basic form of meditation is uh, learning to observe your, your breathing patterns. Um, and when I first encountered meditation as a, as a skill set, I was, um, I was pretty heavily invested in my entrepreneurial uh, career at the time I had a business. 
I was managing with the stress and the and trying to balance the work and home life aspect of it and dealing with little mini crises that were popping up with the business and also in family life. Um, so I'm giving you a little bit of background to it just because uh, at the time, you know, I wanted, I wanted to find a way to balance things better. And I thought that's what meditation would be. But the more I studied it, the more I realized it was a very useful skill set to kind of shift um, the general way of thinking uh, the habitual patterns that I had, like, you know, yep. something happens and you react a certain way. And because you react that way, you feel a certain way. And then you think a certain way, then you do a certain thing. It's just, it's just all habitual um, reactivity. And then there was this tool that comes along meditation and it, it was learning to be more skillful throughout the reactivity process so that I could be a little bit more deliberate with whatever's going to happen next uh, in that chain of reactivity. So, um, that was kind of a, a surprise for me in the process of learning all of this, that it ended up being something so beneficial for life in general, and not just for my work and home life balance. Yeah. And I find this so fascinating when I talk to other people that meditate, we all kind of have, I guess, similar experiences and it's kind of fun to talk about them and see other people's perspective too. Because for me, I, st I started meditating and I, I have a short fuse. I want to say that it's better now, <laughs> but I, I think <laughs> I do have a short fuse. And with meditation, I started to, to realize when I was getting angry, right? And we feel like that, that your chest is like bothering you because of the anger, your things are like bubbling up and you, you feel it in your fingertips. I started to mm -hmm. take a stop, like stop completely, freeze. And instead of doing my normal behavior, such as like not thinking clearly before I acted, I started to take a breather. What would I normally do? And what can I do now instead of just going into that habit, that, that vicious circle of responding the way, reacting the way that I was doing and instead respond to the situation in another manner and see what different result I get. Because I already know if I do this one thing, then I'm going to get the same result. But if I try something else, am I going to get a better outcome? And for me, that was a big factor for me. Um, very life-changing because I was always... I was always doing the same thing, kind of having like um, going through this emotion roller coaster and then react in the same way and then being, but why didn't I get a different result? But I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. It's funny how we do that, huh? Yeah. And, and we fall into this, like, uh, like you said, so just habits, right? Just creating these habits and, and we stick to them. And it's just, um, it's just very interesting how the mind works. And I'm glad that you, you kind of touched upon this a little bit on you were, you had your business. And you started, I guess, looking into this. Um, I, a lot of my listeners are entrepreneurs and creatives. Uh, what do you think if there's any, anything tied to business and meditation um, or mindfulness and, and business, um, what do you think people can get out of that um, and, and running a business or, or making decisions, strategic dis decisions on, on the business side? Um, I think one of the, well, perhaps the most beneficial uh, aspect of it for me, at least, was realizing, well, not realizing at the time that um, I think for most of us, when we encounter some kind of big pivotal change, uh, we linger with it for a moment. Like we don't want to accept the reality of whatever the situation is that is now presented to us. I, I often talk about how 
life is a lot like a game of Tetris and we don't necessarily know what pieces are going to show up next and our ability to um, be skillful with the time that we have with each piece when it does show up um, significantly impacts the way that the outcome of the game, if you're familiar with, with Tetris. I think a lot of times we go through life thinking that we're playing a game of, of chess. And if I do this, the universe will respond with that and, and you can somehow win this game. And the truth is, uh, it doesn't quite work out that way, right? We, you can check the, the, the tire pressure before every road trip and still end up getting a flat tire right. when you least expect it on the road. Um, so for me, the, the correlation of, of mindfulness with business uh, is, was the ability to be able to pivot um, quickly when life presents you a new Tetris game or a, a new Tetris piece. So for me in business, as I was um, working on, on building up my company, I, was, I had encountered uh, one of these unexpected, unwanted Tetris pieces that was drastically affecting the way that my company was able to, um, you know, to, to, to exist. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was just not wanting to accept this new Tetris piece that had been thrown into the game. It was like, no, this isn't fair. This isn't how it should be. This isn't what should be happening. Well, all the time that I was spending not accepting that Tetris piece was preventing me from just making the pivotal, you know, the decision to pivot on the spot and say, okay, well, this is the new piece that showed up. Now, what do we do? You know, I spent weeks and months not accepting that new piece. And that made, that made the whole situation even more difficult. So I think mindfulness as, as a practice come to find out later, as I incorporated this into my day-to-day life actually gave me the ability so that when life would present you with these un, unexpected pieces to immediately be able to say, okay, this is the reality I'm facing now. This is the piece that just showed up. Now, how do I work skillfully with this piece rather than wasting all that time not wanting to accept that this is indeed the situation at hand. We'll get back to our conversation in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to give you all a few quick reminders. If you would like to view more free content relating to creativity, business, mental clarity, and how this can help you as a creative and entrepreneur, don't forget to visit maritaespada.com. I have an entire section with free resources that can help you along the way with planners and my monthly newsletter, The Mindful Minute. All the links will be in the description of this episode. Now, back to my conversation with Noah. So I think that uh, that for me was uh, an unexpected um, learning, learning moment where mindfulness, I thought, well, it would be very beneficial for life in general, but also business specifically, because as you know, for any creative or any entrepreneur, markets change drastically and the yes. inability to pivot with, with those changes could be a matter of, of life and death for the company, you know? Or evolving, right? I have a lot of, of friends who are freelancers and sometimes if they're not evolving in their craft, um, come someone new who's exactly. offering something different or has a different competitive edge. And if you're not willing yep. to evolve, right. If we take that Tetris, a uh, game idea, again, um, those pieces are coming. You don't want to evolve game over, right. There's, there's a point, I think in the game in Tetris, you get like two or three chances and then it's over. 
So at yep, some point right. you, you have to evolve with the business. And, and it's hard for a lot of people because I think a lot of people see freelancing or creative work or any type of work where, well, I spend five or six years building this foundation and then building this business. And now I have to evolve, but that's basically uh, the nature of the game. If you're thinking of business as, as, as a game, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I you do... can, you can think of all the, the models out there that didn't evolve, you know, like blockbuster, uh, Netflix comes along, changes the game and who keeps going? The one that evolves, the one that pivots with the new, whatever the new piece is that showed up. So yeah, I think that fits very well there. And I think sometimes when people think of, of mindfulness or meditation, um, there's this notion of acceptance, like, oh, I'm learning to just sit and accept what is, but that doesn't mean acceptance in the sense of resignation or acceptance in the sense of, I have to like this. It's more like acceptance in the sense of, oh, this is the actual reality I'm dealing with, not the one that I made up in my head or the one that I want. This is the one that actually is reality. Now, how am I going to deal skillfully with that? So I think it fits very well in the, in the world of, of creativity and entrepreneurship. Yes. And I think that's where um, equanimity for those who, who meditate in the community comes into place where a lot of people want a lot of the pleasant experiences, right? We're on a vacation. We want to be near a pool, having a drink or, or hiking, if that's what you do on your vacation, any type of vacation that you like to do. Um, so we want to experience all the pleasant, but then the unpleasant, um, we push away, we push away, we push away. And that equanimity piece is where you're able to, I guess, navigate, right? From one side to the other, not longing for one and not pushing the other one, but kind of welcoming both and learning how to work through both experiences. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's it's very important. I, I like um, that you approach Buddhism from a secular point of view, but for those listeners that not necessarily understand what that means, are you able to, to kind of break that down a little bit for us? Sure. Yeah. So when I first started encountering Buddhist uh, thoughts, uh, Buddhist teachings and concepts, um, I found that I wasn't very interested in approaching it from a a religious standpoint as an ideology. I was heavily interested in these concepts and ideas as as an applied philosophy for my day-to-day life. Uh, So I, I encountered this notion uh, of secular Buddhism, which is essentially uh, taking Buddhist teachings and applying them in a non-religious way, just as a philosophy or as a way of life, without having to feel like it's a religious thing at all. Uh, you may already have a religious view that works for you, and Buddhism can make you a better whatever you already are, whether you're religious or non-religious. And um, to me, that was important, and that's why I, I continue to share these uh, concepts and ideas under that lens of secular Buddhism, meaning, um, you know, you don't have to take Buddhism uh, or to, to try to become a Buddhist. You can use what you learn from Buddhism to just be a, wetter, a better whatever you already are. That's a great explanation. Do you, I guess, in, in your opinion, do you, um, I guess, think of secular Buddhism still as a spiritual journey or just more on the lines of, um, personal development? Um, I think for me, it's evolved to become both. At first, there was less interest, perhaps no interest in the spiritual aspect of it. Um, But with time, I've come to kind of view it as 
um, everything can be spiritual in nature, uh, depending on how you define spirituality. For me, spirituality spirituality is is essentially finding connection and meaning uh, with with the world. And so, for me, the connection comes from realizing the the interdependent nature of things. You know the the air that I breathe, the food that I eat, all these things that are yep. uh, not me uh, directly affect how I am and who I am at any given moment. And then the connection part of it is, is there as well, where I feel like um, it's not just me that exists here in a vacuum separate from you or separate from uh, everyone else. It's like, no, we really are all here kind of on the same boat um, and, and we affect each other whether we want to or not. And that has become my form of spirituality. So the more I practice Buddhism, the more it does feel like it's a, a, a spiritual practice in a sense beyond just being, um, you know, a, a psychological or philosophical practice. Yeah, I'm a, I do agree with that. I, I've been reading your, I'm not done yet, um, but I'm reading Secular Buddhism. Um, mm -hmm. I think that was your first book correct me if i'm wrong yes that's right and it's so easy to to read and it has a lot of just impactful information in regards to like secular buddhism and how um a lot of it i kind of already knew because i've been like into this journey for a little while now but a lot of it was new but one part that that was really good for me um that i did want to share with you is I can't remember, I think it's chapter two or around that part of the book. You probably remember since you wrote it, of course, um, where you're talking about love languages and how at the beginning you thought that a love language for, for between you and your wife is basically like, you think that it's around like cuddling or like hugs and affection. And she thought it was for her it's more acts of service, doing the dishes, you know, uh, cleaning the garage, things like that. Because for me, I kind of had the same, not, I don't want to say issue, but I kind of had the same understanding as you with, with my wife, we've been married for, for three years, but I also thought that it was like, well, I get you flowers and I do this and I do that, but she's more about those acts of service, right? Like, you know, take care of the dog or clean up with the dog or do the dishes or, you know, mop the house or certain things that around the house that, that are helpful for her rather than buying me some flowers and a piece of jewelry and just call it a day. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's those, those things that it's for me, I was like, but why in my head, I keep just like not, not understanding. Why don't you like that? Or she, she does, she appreciates it, but it speaks more in, in volume for her, for me to do those acts of service. And I think this happens to a lot of people in a lot of relationships. And it was so good to read it and kind of have a name for it. Right. And, and kind of be able to explain it to her or explain it to a friend of mine who might be going through the same thing. And so I yeah. did want to, to say that to you because I it was it was a really nice way to just read it, digest it and be like, I've been there. I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole notion of the love languages was foreign to me uh, until I encountered it. And then it made sense. It was like, oh, well, yeah, I guess the way that uh, I would express love isn't necessarily the way that uh, everyone else would. And I, I wanted to emphasize that in the book beyond relationships and you know the, the way we express love to each other. Um, I feel like there are kind of our spiritual love languages or, or I guess spiritual languages too, the way that we interact with reality or with the universe or with God or however you want to phrase that. It's 
the relationship of the communication style between you and everything that's not you, uh, I, I think resonates there as well. Similar concept. Yep, definitely. Talking a little bit more about the book, I know that you do workshops. Do you have any, are any of those tied up, tied to your books or are they different workshops? Are they different levels uh, for beginners, intermediates, more advanced uh, uh, meditators or, or people that are looking into mindfulness? How do those work? You know, it's, it's changed and evolved over the years. Um, I've had a very beginner focused series for people who are just interested in learning about meditation or learning about basic Buddhism uh, or bo basic Buddhist teachings and concepts. Um, and then I've done some corporate, more corporate minded ones that take mindfulness and they, uh, and it uh, focuses heavily on how that would benefit in the entrepreneurial world or in the corporate world. Um, I've done a few workshops that are uh, relationship driven for people in relationships. And then all of that kind of fizzled out over uh, the last few years when COVID hit. I haven't done any, any uh, in-person workshops for quite some time now. Um, and I'm getting ready to launch a new form of workshop that's just going to be online. And I think, again, focused mostly on people who are just trying to learn the basics and get involved with, with meditation as a practice or mindfulness as a practice. Uh, but I don't have that up yet. Um, I still have some workshops that are out there on other platforms uh, that I've, that are just out there. Like the Himalaya learning platform, for example, is an app where you can uh, sign up for workshops and they have a whole bunch of different ones from different teachers on different topics. I have one there on mindful living um, but I don't have any like on my website right now or anything that I do directly. Uh, but I, I hope to be launching that soon, probably within the next year. Yeah, I know that COVID for sure. It, it took a lot of um, folks that were doing trainings and obviously they had to change the format to online. And, and most of these workshops, they're meant to be done in person. So it's not right. like you can just toss it into a, a PDF and just put a Zoom link and, and start doing the workshop. I, I kept doing some online um, while in COVID, but it's definitely not the same because I think even with workshops and maybe even retreats, the experience I think is fuller and richer when you actually are staying um, in a hotel or a cabin where they're doing the retreat and you get to just experience that where you have no distractions. Where you're doing them online mm -hmm. at home, you still have everything that you, if you play video games, you have an Xbox, you have a TV, you still have your books or whatever is that can distract you. So it's definitely not, not the same experience. Yep. That's right. Uh, I really appreciate the conversation today. I think it, it's been super helpful for all the listeners, specifically for those who are creatives and entrepreneurs and are just trying to navigate through not feeling burned out, but keeping that ambition going. I think there's a fine line between both of them. So I really appreciate that you came right from your journey started right in that area where you were in business and trying to find a way to to kind of manage everything and keeping your your mental health right so um, mm -hmm. I appreciate yeah. that those pointers that that you provided to those folks and I, I like to wrap up basically asking two questions to my guests and the first one is if you could have dinner with anyone from history who would it be and why okay um, <laughs> so this is a fun question I think I think the answer would change based on time, right? The, uh, a year ago, me would have a different answer than the me of now. Yeah. But I think recently, uh, 
the the person I would probably be most interested in meeting would be my uh, my grandfather from my mom's side. I had a very good relationship with both of my grandmas, um, but both of their husbands passed away um, younger in life, and I didn't get the chance to meet them. So I would I would love to meet either one of them, uh, just because over the years I think my my focus has um, has shifted from I don't know seeking interesting people out there to just trying to understand myself more more of an inner focus. Uh, and I think one of the coolest ways to get to know me better would be to get to know the people I came from. And, you know, I, I like to imagine if I met my, one of my grandpas, um, over dinner, it'd be fun to see maybe some of my mannerisms or, uh, personality traits in them and recognize, Oh, that's where that, that came from. So I, I think that's what, what I would answer. One of my, one of my grandpas. I love that answer because I feel like you and I are on the same page, at least in this moment in time with that response. Because I, I often, when I'm putting together, basically um, preparing for the interview, I answer these questions to myself as well. And so when yeah. I was preparing for yours, I was like, I would probably say right now, my grandfather, I did meet him, but he passed away when I was in my early 20s. And I didn't get to ask him maybe things that I would have asked him now as a more developed adult and wanting to learn yeah. more about him. You know, he, he he was born and raised in Cuba and then he moved to Puerto Rico, moved his entire family when Fidel Castro was taking basically over the island. So a lot of history, a lot of uh, changes for him. And I would have loved to see, to understand that more now as an adult rather than when I'm a child that I don't understand what that really means and how impactful I might be to someone's life. So I, yeah. I couldn't agree more with understanding your background better through grandparents and other family members than rather seeking that out and learning maybe from entrepreneurs or other meditation teachers and, and their wisdom and whatnot. But it's sometimes just better to look within and, and see what's going on with your own family. Yeah. The last question would be what show documentary movie or book did you watch or read recently that you would recommend to folks? Okay. So this one, I was thinking of a, of a show on Netflix uh, called My Octopus Teacher. And somebody on Facebook somewhere mentioned it. And I was kind of like, what is that even about? And uh, it piqued my interest. Um, and then I watched it on Netflix. And I was I was actually pretty blown away with the, the storyline um, of somebody who befriends an octopus and goes and swims with it every day. Can't remember how many days. It's almost a full year or something like that. And uh, there's all this incredible footage of, of what that interaction is like. They, it's like a friendship with an octopus and everything he learned from that octopus over the, the time that he spent swimming with it every day. Um, it it kind of blew my mind to realize something that you wouldn't necessarily think of, just a creature there in the ocean could teach you so much. And I, I've always enjoyed that concept that anything can be our teacher uh, if we're willing to, you know, it's like the expression that when the student is ready, that the teacher appears, mm -hmm. um, that teacher could be anyone or anything if we're the one that's ready to learn. And that's kind of what I saw unfold in this documentary. And it was, it was very touching, very fascinating and kind of left me thinking, I, I wonder what, what could come along next and be an unexpected teacher for me that I 
know, didn't even know I was looking for. So that, that's something I saw recently that I thought people would probably enjoy. A lot of people have recommended that documentary. Um, and then I had a friend that said, I don't, I don't know if I can watch this because I don't know if it's true or not. I haven't researched it. But she was like, uh, octopus only live for one year. So I know how the story is going to end. And I'm like, oh, I don't. Now that you said that, I'm kind of like, it's in my <laughs> list in Netflix. But I didn't think about it. I was excited to watch it. And I, it's in my list. And people mention, I'm like, I do have to see it and forget about regardless, you know, what happens to the octopus. Because it seems like it's it's been an impact for a lot of people. I think it even won an award. So it's definitely yeah. a good documentary to watch. Yeah, it's worth watching. I don't think it, it doesn't end sad like you might think it would. It it leaves you feeling good. It's I think it's worth watching. Definitely going to do that then. Well, Noah, thank you so much for uh, joining the podcast, uh, sharing all, all the information, all the knowledge that you've gained throughout the years. But before we wrap up, I like to give my guests a, a space to share anything that you're working on, where people can learn more about you, where people can find you, all that good stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I think the the best place to keep up with the things that I'm working on and things that I'm doing would be on uh, secularbuddhism.com. I post the uh, podcast episodes that I do there. Uh, and that the podcast is really where I share basic Buddhist teachings and concepts and ideas and how they pertain to my day-to-day -day life. Uh, as an average person, you know, I'm, I'm a average person that has a job and is a parent and is dealing with kids and has a, a spouse. So I deal with relationships and, you know, I'm not somebody sitting in a, in a cave meditating in the Himalayas. I'm somebody who's dealing with all the normal everyday things that an average Joe deals with. And uh, so I, I, I feel like it's a good space for um, just the average person who wants to discover how Buddhism can affect day-to-day -day life. Uh, so that, that's where I share things on my podcast, which you can find on secularbuddhism.com. All good things, all good things. And I've listened to it, so it's it's really good. It's really good. It's definitely on my list. I, I keep up with it. So thank you again so much for being part of the podcast. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, I look forward to staying in touch. We are all in search throughout our lives for the answers to many questions. We often research for answers, listen to others who may have the experience that we might be looking for, and try to absorb as much or as little wisdom as we can to make our lives better. But what if we should sad with ourselves and listen to the inner workings of our own mind? In stillness, we can find the answers we have been desperately searching for. Personally, that's what secular Buddhism has taught me. And I often share that with others who may be in a similar journey. As Noah so kindly puts it, he breaks down Buddhist concepts for anyone that might be trying to become a better whatever they are already. Feel free to share with me on Instagram or email what you have learned from this episode. But for now, peace out and see you next time.